My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the classical classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today are two of the Texas tenors, John Hagen and J.C. Fisher. The Texas tenors are a classical crossover trio, and we're going to talk about what that means in a little while. They, according to their debut album title, they have country roots and classical sound, although I think it's the other way around <laughs> from reading your bios. Um, they were They had the only independent album to be number one on both the country and classical charts. They made it to the top four of America's Got Talent in 2009. You Should Dream is their latest album, and it reached number nine on the classical charts and the top 40 pop charts. They I think it's actually been number seven. Oh, really? Recently okay. In, in the, yeah, in the 18th week or so. We have nice. high expectations for this week, actually. <clears throat> we think it's going to climb higher. Climber. Nice. Yeah, because of Classical Classroom. It's Absolutely. It's going push you over the edge. Because we know the listenership <laughs> here is about 10 million, isn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so t- tell me about your, your opera backgrounds. Uh, well, oh, this is John, by the way. John, yes. Yeah. Uh, my, my parents were both teachers, classroom teachers and music teachers. They'd both done both those things. And uh, so I grew up in a musical family and couldn't escape that, which turned out to be a good thing. <laughs> so was exposed to especially classical music from a young age. I mean, listen to everything like every teenager does. Sure. So when I went to uh, college, well, as a matter of fact, when I first went to college, I was going to major on my trumpet. I got a oh. trumpet scholarship. Hey, I played trumpet yeah. too. Yeah. And, nice. but uh, I, I got a bug for singing and switched. <laughs> <laughs> And so I pursued a career in, in classical singing and got an education degree and, and taught for a while. And we did kind of regional opera and some symphony orchestra work around the country and, and was really doing that for the most part, more or less, uh, when I met J.C. and Marcus, you know, before we embarked on this new thing. So, but that's kind of my background in classical music. All right. What about you, J.C.? Well, I kind of have the opposite story because I grew up on a farm, and my dad loves country music, and that's pretty much all I listened to was country. And I liked basketball uh, quite a bit in high school, and the kids, would they would come over and sing the Star Spangled Banner, and this is kind of funny because I always thought I could sing, but I never really sang because I didn't want to like embarrass myself or anybody else, but I just remember telling the principal next home game I'm gonna go sing the Star Smell Banner and I was just the kind of guy where I would just do anything and I got out there and sang and and my choir director said hey you should be in choir so I, I really had no formal training of of the voice until I got I was about a junior and I got real interested in singing and I uh, ended up taking voice lessons in a matter of six years I basically got a degree in voice and put my own solo show together and that's kind of one of the things that led to us putting a group together and, and sending a tape into America's Got Talent, like you were saying earlier. So this, this genre of like classical crossover is really new to me. Can you talk a little bit, John, about like what that means? I guess in my mind, 
It really started with uh, the three tenors, Pavarotti, Domingo, and Carreras, back in 1990, I think it was 90, when they did their first, the three tenors concert. Really brought operatic singing to the masses, and they did numbers in there, not only operatic numbers, but some Broadway and and uh, popular tunes, and that went so well, they proceeded to do that all around the world, mm-hmm. you know, in big venues, and uh, I know the sales of the DVD were, the VCR tape, was it VCR tape? <laughs> <laughs> were, were phenomenal, and, and they really did bring uh, bring the spotlight onto uh, the opera world and classical music, yeah. and so I think it's really grown so much since then, but I think, I think that was a real important seed, and uh, for us... Um, JC having this idea uh, of putting this group together where we would do a little bit of everything is, uh, you know, the epitome of crossover because we really, we really cross over from diehard country to full on. When we do Ness and Dorma, we don't mm-hmm. kind of, we don't sing the tune mm-hmm. to the aria and the, we're, I mean, we sing it like it's sung in the opera Oh house. yeah, you're belting it out. Yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, try, you know, so we try, we have our own little twists on some of the music, but mm-hmm. we, we really like to serve the music, a lot of it the way it was really intended to be served and, and take pride in being able to, I mean, we try to, to do that, whether it's country, pop, or mm-hmm. something operatic. Right, you try to be sort of true to yeah, we, whatever it's kind a, of music it's a, you're It's seeing. such a, a fun challenge. Yeah. What's, I think, really interesting about this genre is that it's bringing classical music to audiences that would otherwise never listen to it and opera to you know specifically to to audiences that would jc how many how many times in a in one night in a concert do we get somebody who was coming to hear country music and then after they've heard ness and dorma somewhere every other person you know yeah all all the time i didn't know i liked opera i didn't you know i'm gonna go see an opera yeah, that's really neat. So you're basically out there, you're, you're kind of getting to people on a level that sort of speaks to them, but sort of drawing them a little bit into this other world. And, we, and then and they're we like, oh, things, I want to see more of that. Yeah, we do things to make it accessible. Like we tell, I tell a story before we do Ness and Dorma uh-huh. about uh, an encounter with Pavarotti. And uh, we project the English translation to Ness and Dorma when we perform it. And, you know, the audiences really appreciate that. And we yeah. feel like, we do feel like we're helping bridge a gap and mm-hmm. maybe educate some people in that and, and, and forming a, an appreciation for it. It's neat. I, I kind of, I kind of am And it works the other way genre. too. We like the classical, yeah. you know, people, lovers, forming an appreciation for some of the, quote, country music. Right. There's some amazing stuff out there on both ends of the spectrum yeah, that... You're going to love if you hear it and you know just mm-hmm. a little bit about it. Yeah, that, well, I think that, I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm liking. And I'm so that. glad John could talk about genres because it was actually named after him, John. But <laughs> <Genre. laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and the reason we put the lyrics up on Nason Dorma because most people don't realize Nason Dorma in Italian it means messy dorm room. <laughs> so <laughs> I 
don't think that's true. He didn't know true. we're comedians, did you? <laughs> but he was talking about the three tenors earlier, and I, 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 that was my first introduction to opera. Like I was the kind of kid that grew up on a farm that would, you, I would not go see Torondot or La Boheme or uh-huh. you know anything. I, I would not go see an opera that was just so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. He'd go see Kiss or yeah, I would go see Eighties <laughs> Rock or George Strait or something like that. But right. when I listened to the three tenors CD. I was so impressed. I'm like, mm-hmm. how do these guys sing like that and sing yeah. that high with that thick of sound? Yeah. Because I'd all only heard, I've heard, you know, 80s rock singers like Def Leppard or Warren or mm-hmm. Metallica, and they're screaming high, but it's totally a different sound. But when you yeah. got Pavarotti up on a high C, that's an incredible sound. Right, like Axl Rose scream, <laughs> very different yeah. from Pavarotti scream. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're both the same note. <laughs> they're both but it's, awesome. But yeah, yeah, it both brings, you know, chills to you. But the Pavarotti, I mean, there's, I, in my opinion, that is just... The pure, the purest form of singing there is. Well, that this, is pure. This brings me to kind of what we were going to talk about today, what you guys are going to teach me about today, which is the different kinds of operatic voices. I mean, you're, you're saying tenor, and I'm going, yeah, tenor, I totally know what that is. But actually, I don't at all. I, I mean, I kind of understand soprano is very high, and, you know, the but, but like, I don't, there are a lot of, sort of shades of tenor mm-hmm. and so okay so tell me all about it jc do you do you want to start or john do you well the the, the tenor for male singers is the you know other than a counter tenor but uh, the tenor is you know most of the time considered the the guy who sings the higher part like in most people are familiar with soprano alto tenor bass sure. in a chorus and so the tenor sings the higher male parts but in the operatic classical world there's many different kinds of tenors as well as Baritones, basses, sopranos, mezzo sopranos, and and uh, the Germans came up with a system called the Fox system, and uh, wh- which helped classify voices to uh, fit into uh, the way that different operatic composers wrote. Hmm. And uh, for instance, you hear people talk about a Wagnerian soprano. Mm-hmm. Well, that's oh, a soprano with a really massive instrument that has great carrying power that can be cut through the orchestra and and uh, is a big sound and uh, so in the tenor world for us uh, we'll get questions sometimes after a show um so so you're you're baritone then except but you were singing a lot of high notes they get confused because we have very one reason our group works is yeah we're all tenors so we all can sing that range but we have very different voices very Mm -hmm. different colors and um, mine is more of a baritonal quality but uh, in the opera world, I'm not even the biggest, darkest kind of tenor there is. There's you know, light lyric tenor. There's lyric tenor. There's what they call a lyrical spinto tenor, uh, which is the Italians broke it down even further than the Germans. Um, then there's a spinto tenor. There's a dramatic tenor. So there's all these different classifications. Well, I'd like to add to his list of tenor voices because in Italy, I, m- one of my tenor roles, I was a character tenor. And the the opera is oh. De l'amour la tre melorange, the love of three oranges. <laughs> and and I got to and I didn't have a lot of legato singing, which yeah. is fluid and held out notes. Right. I I would like tell the story I was a narrator. But I was still singing in the tenor range. It was just I was narrating a story and I was just really choppy. Mm-hmm. And I was like dup, 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 dup. I would say a lot of that yeah. instead of this beautiful legato like on Boheme or some of these others but then some of my favorite singers would be would and as far as tenors because it's totally opposite of what I could do would be like a, a held in tenor or mm-hmm. a heroic tenor right mm-hmm. and is a heroic tenor 
Which one's the the the, the larger voice? I've always the wondered one that. that. Cuz I've heard <laughs> the one that wears a cape. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I like that. Or or would it be Cuz I couldn't get a costume to fit that. Well. <laughs> Yeah. I always tell her, but yeah. I'm the romantic tenor. Oh, uh, the romantic tenor. <laughs> I can really see this His wife calls really him the romantic tenor. <laughs> I don't think that's a real we, thing. We call him the comic tenor. Get over there and be quiet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's so funny. We all have our, our idols or, or people we've, we've listened to as we've grown up, and we all listen to Pavarotti because he's the epitome of a great tenor. Uh, but there's other, you know, like a, a great example of a dramatic tenor would be a, a, probably a lot of people aren't that familiar with his name, but Giuseppe Giacomini. Just unbelievable, I mean, just a... A freak of nature. This voice is so dark but so massive. And I heard him sing at the uh, Chicago Lyric Opera one time, and I, I, I thought this this guy is not even human. It's just the darkest, but yet has so much squealo. This voice just cuts through the orchestra. Is that, is that what that means? Yeah, squealo. I mean it's just you know so much ring in his voice. Yeah, but yet it's so dark, and so you think, well, this guy's not a tenor, but yet he sings high C like. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, Pavarotti, most people would call a, a spinto or lyrico spinto tenor. You know, Domingo, you get people debating all day long about where he fits in because he, he sings such a wide range of repertoire, but he's done a lot of, uh, even some Wagner operas and, you know, made quite a, a name for self singing Otello over the years, which is a dramatic tenor role. So we do get people asking us, you know, are you, yeah. are you really a tenor? And the answer is, uh, I think yes, but because <laughs> I really can't sing a baritone operatic role. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, it's too much. Um, it sits in a place that's not comfortable for me. Right. And that's the other thing about a tenor. They're going to, you know, there's a certain range that you sit in where you're going to sing. And a, and a role that's classified maybe as a, a spinto tenor role maybe will pop up to those high notes, but you're not going to live up there like yeah. a light lyric tenor, like a Juan Diego Flores who sings some Rossini and different things. He's going to live up there. And uh, because he can. I can't live up there. I can sing those notes, but I can't live up there all afternoon. <laughs> Al mio cuore 
Who is the the board of people out there deciding who is a tenor and who is a baritone? Like, well, you know, there's a lot of pe- listeners that know the tenors, the different tenors, and like if you they can, expand they can just on hear them. them, yeah, you know, like for example, like he just mentioned those two, but then a lot of people like Caruso, mm-hmm. and people are familiar with Mario Delmonico, and Ben well, Hepner was he a tenor? Yeah, Ben. He's Hepner, just retired. But uh, one of my favorite tenors of all time, besides Pavarotti, was. Uh, Franco Corelli, mm. who was a great dramatic tenor and and probably sets the gold standard for singing Ness and Dorma, which every tenor wants to sing. Is it that pieces are written for a particular register, and then if you can sing that piece, then it's like, okay, you that's are part of this it, sort of... Yeah, that's part of it, and then part of it is the, the way that's orchestrated. Like, if it's if the orchestration's very heavy and dark, a lot yeah. of heavy strings and brass, you know, well, a voice has to be able to cut through that okay. and uh, compete with that. And so, you know, there's... There's a lot of variables involved, but that's certainly one of them. So so both of you have performed in quite a few operas as well as Broadway stuff. Can you talk about the sort of operatic repertoire for, for I mean like the, the the repertoire for tenors? Um what what what's what does every tenor sing? Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean my I'm more of a lyric voice, so you know, it just, it seems like Mozart fits pretty well with with my voice. Okay. Like I'm not gonna go sing any Wagner stuff. That would not even be in my in my thought process. Right. And just all the light lyrical stuff. Even even some of the Rossini stuff for the Britain stuff. I mean, it's the more light and it just flows. And you're talking about what's the difference? Well, if we were sta- standing in this room right now. And the guy he was just talking about, Giacomini or, or Franco Corelli or any of these guys started singing, and I sang, you would not hear me at all. Um, but I might be able to sing higher and float above them right. in my lighter voice, um, but we would sing a totally different repertoire. Hmm. And so I sang La Boheme, but it was more challenging because, like he said, the orchestration is fuller, and there's some moments where it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. When he's crying out for me, me, and he's up on a, you know, a G or even an A or maybe a B flat, you know, and, and you have to give it. Yeah. You don't have a microphone to try to send the sound out so people can hear it. You have to be able to sing over all these horns and, and strings. And, and yeah, that's, that's always a challenge when it comes to different voice types, if you can come over the orchestra or not. So you see, what's, what's been like your, your favorite role that you've that you've um, done well ever. you know in the different opera settings there's always a, a way to contemporize things like you know peter sellers does something and 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 we did a don pasquale once and uh-huh. and i got to dress up in leather nice. and everyone <laughs> looked like they were 50s and it was all cool and <laughs> everyone was just wearing cool stuff and we and it was really contemporary 
yeah. version of Pasquale. And that role fit really nice in my voice, and I got to have a lot of fun with it. Nice. And that was one of my fondest memories of an opera. I, I haven't sung as many operas as John, but that was one that was great. And, you know, we talked about the magic flute. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. does that one, but I, I, re- I really enjoyed that role a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, um, Puccini, La Boheme, is, like, p- probably my favorite uh, Yeah. Uh, opera and I, I got to do that in it both Italian and English nice. so that was really fun to learn that role and perform it and those are probably my three top ones right there okay and John can you talk about now many many operas most operas are in languages other than one's own mm-hmm. and and unless you're Italian unless you're Italian in which case <laughs> or you're German super lucky can you talk about what that's like to sing in a language that maybe you don't I mean, I'm assuming you, you probably learn what, we, yeah, what we, it's about, but... Well, you know, when you go to school and study for this, you do take language and diction classes in all the languages, uh-huh. so you at least hopefully learn to pronounce them. But when you don't speak uh, some of them fluently, it's a lot, it's a lot of work mm-hmm. to learn because you, you got to know what you're singing about. Yeah. And that's the only way to really memorize it. <laughs> and so, so it is a lot of work, but um, it's, at the end of the day, it's pretty gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. We're at a disadvantage in this in the United States. We don't we're not learning other languages at a young uh-huh. age in most places like they do in in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know where it's mm-hmm. just commonplace that you know you're you're learning three plus languages. Right. You know they they know their own and they know English and they know German. You yeah. know or or mm-hmm. Italian or French or whatever. Wasn't it? I can't remember. I think it was like ABBA or somebody like that. There was a Swedish group. ABBA, yeah, they were singing yeah. in English and didn't actually know what they were saying. When they were singing it, I just, just I always think of that when I think about opera. Uh-huh. Like, does this American dude actually know? I don't what think he's I could. Saying? I don't think I could memorize it. I think I they thought know. Dancing Queen was Margaret Thatcher having a yes. dance party. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how right. that happened. <laughs> that was good, man. Was yeah, good. Thank you, thank you. I'm good. a comedian. You know what? I know I sing. We're not comedians. Yeah. We just sing. <laughs> but you'll be here all week. <laughs> Yes, yes, we'll be here all week. <laughs> you know the main, the the great thing about there there's apprenticeships and things like that. I auditioned uh, for the the Puccini Festival in Lucca, Italy. Mm-hmm. They took ten tenors, ten American, not the ten tenors group, but ten American tenors and sopranos and altos and basses, and we got to live in Lucca for the whole summer, three months. Wow. We have we got to live with an Italian family, and then you worked on three operas in Italian. While you're there, and then mm-hmm. you took diction class, and you took voice class, and then the language as well. So that was really fun. I did that uh, two summers in a row, and I, I couldn't believe how quickly uh, my Italian progressed. And then working with the Italian voice coaches were were just spot on. I learned so much in a short period of time, and so we have advantages of, of doing things like that. Like if, if a kid wants to really loves opera and really wants to dive in there, uh, you can learn a lot by auditioning for one of these apprentice programs and, mm-hmm. and go over to Italy or even Germany has the same thing and you can you can learn a lot about the the lifestyle and and singing in that language. Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably no better way than <clears throat> what he's talking about too, to immerse yourself in the culture to really understand the Italian opera, you know, mm-hmm. for us as a, an American to, okay, yeah, I understand the, the story of La Boheme, but to go live in that culture and maybe get a better feel for the mindset. I mean, what, what could be better than that? So what makes tenors better than all of the other voices? Well, we generally get paid more than everybody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you answer that question <laughs> diplomatically? No, I, you know, honestly, 
you know, there's some theories why people seem to get, I don't know if it's true, get more excited about the tenor voice than the other voices in, mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, because any voice classification, if it's a great singer, you know, you're going to get excited about it. But yeah. there just seems to be this thing about tenors. And one of the theories, you know, and I don't know if it's true or not, but is the tenor uh, sings in the top third of his voice more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So he's singing in a, in, in a range, especially in operatic literature, that is not a natural place for him to live. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be a very exciting sound. It's like walking on a tightrope for us when we're singing, uh, you know, a high passage in one of these arias or something. That anticipation, when you go up there, you know that you're on the edge. You're staying, you you're on a tightrope, and all it takes is one misstep, <laughs> yeah. and you fall off. Yeah. And so there's something about the excitement of that that turns people on. And, you know, and Pavarotti would describe those high notes as a controlled yell. And there's something exciting about that. It's it's a real visceral, exciting sound, and it elicits that reaction from people. the conversations that I've done with people, we talk about how important the tension in, mm-hmm. in music is yeah. to sort of uh, maintain, you know, your interest as a, as a listener. And so that's, that's kind of interesting to hear that, like, like that, that tenor, that upper register, yeah. you're kind of, kind of hearing some of that, that tension just in, in the voice. Hmm. You know, like tenors, when Pavarotti goes above, like an A, he goes into this new sound and it's just so exciting when he goes up and hits the high B on Nason Dorma yeah. or the high C on La Boheme. They, he goes into a different register. Do baritones mm-hmm. do the same as well? There, there's some that are just so many. You know, I mean, Cheryl Milne's, you know, made a name for singing B-flats as a baritone. And it's just such an exciting sound. He would go into his upper register and another great singer, uh, bass, Leonard Warren, was just phenomenal. And, and uh, it's such an exciting sound when you hear one of the one of the truly – great singers yeah. of their classification do their thing. It's it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, another tenor I admire is Roberto Alagna. He sings such a wide range of repertoire, and it's funny if you get onto some of the blogs online, and you know people, oh, he shouldn't be singing that, or oh, he sounds great in that, or whatever. But he 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 breaks some of the rules, and I love it. It's like, well, if you can sing it, and you can be heard, and it's not killing you. I mean, if you're if you're believable, and people are moved by your portrayal of that that character, and you can be heard, you know, why not? So what you're saying basically is that opera nerds. Are just now careful. Like, I've, like I've been an opera nerd. I've got way too many recordings. But they're just like Trekkies yes. in that they debate they to, they these to debate finer it. points awesome. of, you know, like. Yeah. You just get on and look at a few opera blogs and you won't believe it. Oh, yeah. It's just like Trekkies, you're right. <gasps> New discoveries. And I used to, you know, I used to be a real <laughs> audiophile and I'd have all these obscure tenor recordings of people you never heard of and some that were just phenomenal. And you're wondering, why didn't this person become a household name? And, you know, and I don't know why some of them didn't. But then you get on a blog and you start talking with people and you meet somebody just as nerdy as you who knows who that is. It's awesome. <laughs> well, and as a tenor in college, you know, you're always constantly talking with the other tenors and you're, oh, you know, we could play a recording 
of 10 different tenors right now singing Nason Dorma, and it would almost sound like a different aria. Huh. Well, I think because, you know, back to the beginning of the conversation, talking about classical crossover, mm-hmm. you know, in the last 15, 20 years, you hear a lot more people uh, singing something like Ness and Dorma. I mean, you can you can find Aretha Franklin singing Ness and Dorma. You really? know, yeah. People, this idea that you can't sing it unless you're the specific voice type has been thrown out the window. <laughs> it's a, a piece of music that moves people, and so people take it, pick it up, put their own twist on it, and put it out there. Much yeah. to the chagrin of some of the purists, but but it's uh, you know why not? So it's sort of it's sort of opened up. Yeah, I mean it's it's not quite as restrictive. I, you know, there are things that happen. I remember there was a time uh, when I was really so zeroed in on just the operatic world that, you know, some of the things that were happening kind of like, really? You know, but um, then I've moved on to another place and I think, well, why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just it's interesting to see the whole evolutionary process of some of these things. Yeah. The sort of boundaries between the worlds are sort of coming down and it seems like this classical crossover Genre is is a product of that sort of evolution yeah. that seems to be happening. And I'm sure earlier, you know, place. centuries earlier, people were like, "Oh, I can't believe they're doing that," or that, you know, it, you know, it's <laughs> Heresy. it's always evolving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> symphonies be, be Wagner did what? <laughs> yeah, it seems like symphonies are much more accepting of the with the pops concerts and the crossover uh-huh. now than they were. But what, it's interesting when we go around all these different symphonies that we perform with. Some of them that have been that have been doing popular concerts, Pops concert series for years are, uh, you know, you, you can tell which ones that's commonplace and which ones are trying to accept that idea. Uh, it really, it varies, you know. What? You're going to have a video during Nason Dorma? <laughs> you're going to put the lyrics up behind us? Impossible. Crazy you mean you're going to sing the Vincero again? You know, it's, it's pretty interesting, but it seems like when we were able to do that, it, it, it comes off really... Really pretty. At nice. the end of the day, we've you know everybody's happy and surprised, and you know uh, the ones that we're not sure about. You know you're gonna you, what moving lights. Uh, you know it's like no, really, it's gonna be great. You're gonna love it. Yeah. Okay, and by the end of it, oh, wow, this was really a great concert, fun concert, great mm-hmm. charts, um, great mixture of music. So yeah. It's hard to get the Trekkies out there to to like to to, to kind of get down with with the idea that like. Having fun. That's right. Live and long enjoying. and prosper. Li- oh, perfect. That was, you know, bravo. I can do I can even do, do the hand. Yeah. <laughs> you and me. You and me. I think Star Trek was my babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Yes. Well, you guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to come onto the classical classroom and to teach me about tenors, which I now know 100% more than I did. <laughs> Well, it was all a lie. We don't know anything, but we made up as much as we could. You did a great job. (laughs) I was super convinced. I really appreciate it. And um, you guys, your second album came out uh, in December of last year. It's called You Should Dream. And you guys are an indie band. I mean, you're doing Mm -hmm. all of this on your own. So, Mm -hmm. people, you should go out there and support these guys. Your PBS special is going to be airing uh, on our station, KUHT, on June 9th. And you'll be having uh, a concert at Cullen Theater here in Houston on September 11th. So that's the Texas Tenors. Go check them out, you guys. Thanks so much, JC and John. I mean, I just did that the opposite way, but I knew what I meant. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks.
All right, everybody, that's about it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classical Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org backslash classroom. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, or you can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash classicalclassroom. If you uh, listen on iTunes, make sure to review us, and if you're on SoundCloud, make sure to follow us. That would be awesome. Thanks to our audio producer, Todd Tall Tenor Holslander for Twiddling Knobs, to our program director, Sinjin Flynn, for his always wise spiritual guidance, to me for saying words, and to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.